Amen. There's never been one like Him and there never will be again. I want to take a text partially out of Romans, the 13th chapter. Romans, the 13th chapter is where we will begin. And I want to start at the 8th verse. Romans 13, 8 begins a portion of Paul quoting the Ten Commandments and commenting. Romans 13.8 says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awaken out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Paul, in this portion of his letter to the Romans, quotes a portion of the Old Testament recitation of the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, we have foundational truths that reveal to us not only the heart of God, but His will for us in the behavior of men. And in that set of commands for us, we find that they are universal to all mankind doesn't matter where we live, when we lived, what color our skin is, what our experiences is, what our heritage is. They are not unique to one individual, but they are common to all mankind. They apply to all, whether they believe them or not, whether they know them or not, whether they've ever heard of them or not. And they are a reflection not only of the will of God, but they're also a reflection of the heart of man. That is, the Ten Commandments tell us things that we need to not only do, but to avoid doing because we naturally are bent toward doing things that harm our fellow man. And Paul in Romans here, he says at the, after he recites the, the uh, commandments in the tenth ver, or in the ninth verse, he says in verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So God, Paul uh, reveals the intent of God in the Ten Commandments in that we are to work no ill toward our neighbors. That is, we are to care about the welfare of our neighbors as we do ourselves. That's why one of the commandments is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, which Jesus said was like the first, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Paul says, 
Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we find in the Ten Commandments God's will and a revelation of the heart of man. Okay? So I want to go back into the Old Testament. You'll find uh, the, the recitation of the Ten Commandments in the 20th chapter of the Exodus. I'm going to go back there and read those. The 20th chapter of the Exodus. And it begins in verse 1 saying, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he starts off by saying, this is my relationship with you, Israel. My relationship is that I am your God, and, our, and, and my relationship with you is that I cared for you and loved you, so that uh, such that I brought you out of bondage, out of slavery, into a place, or I am going to do so, into a place that you can call home, that you can call your own. Out of slavery into freedom. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, he says in verse 3. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh is the, is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, in that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. We'll stop reading there. This recitation of the Ten Commandments of God tell us, as I said before, not only of the will and nature of God, but of the nature of mankind Himself. And therein lies a problem. Because when God set these down as the Ten Commandments, the nation of Israel and all mankind found in that a conflict with what was in their hearts. It is natural for man to want to worship something. It is natural for man to reject the will of God. It is natural for man to want things that he should not have. It is natural for man to want things that belong to others. It is natural for men to desire, have such strong desires that they will take what is not theirs. 
And we see that in the world today. And Moses and the children of Israel saw it in their day. And Adam and Eve saw it in their day. And all kindreds of mankind have seen it ever since. It's a problem. Nations establish themselves. They establish authority. And the first thing they have to do is write into laws that which they demand or legislate that people shall not do. That is one of the first things they have to do as a nation. Why? Because it is in the heart of man to sin. That is why. And apart from the Lord, they will sin. There is just no question about it. The Scripture tells us God told the nation of Israel, your sin has separated between you and God. Why did they have sin? Because it was in their heart. And I, I want to specifically focus upon one of these commandments this morning. If you look at the 13th verse, and really if we look at all of these uh, all of these verses that, <clears throat> that talk, they all have uh, instructions to us which not only reveal, again, the heart of God, but they prohibit certain types of behavior. But what, what you will find probably in these if you study them is that the first commandment and the second, those two commandments talk about our view of God and our view of man. And it, it is upon those that the rest of them are established. If we do not establish in our hearts that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, the rest of these are ones that really are of no import. Because if we establish God and our love for Him, and if we establish our love for all of mankind, our neighbor, as ourselves, then the rest of these will come easy. Not easy because of the will of man, but easy because of the help of God. If we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we're going to acknowledge that everything that God says in the Word is not only worthy, but it's holy. It's not only that which... Uh, brings us to, to the point of needing of understanding justification, but it is those which help us through the process of sanctification. And, and these commandments, as they reveal the will of God and the heart of man, they also tell us things about ourselves that we need to know. So we have, love the Lord, love your fellow man, and then don't take the name of the Lord in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So it's establishing the holiness uh, of the commandments of God and the importance of understanding the will of God. We have that. Then, then he says, honor your father and mother for that your days may be long upon the land. So there again is another behavior. Honor your father and mother as well as a view a view of that which God has blessed us in our parentage. Then he says in verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. We know that taking the life of another is against the will of God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We know that sexual sin is prohibited by God. There's a reason behind these. 
15, thou shalt not steal, which is taking someone else's personal belongings or property. And 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. All of these things, in particular, uh, from, from verse 12 through 6, 17, or 16, all deal with our, our uh, taking something, if you will, from someone else that does not belong to us. Okay? So honor your father and mother. If you do not honor them, you are taking something from them which they deserve. Even though, I, and, and, and praise God, I think most of us in here have had parents uh, who have been uh, those that honor the Lord, that honor God, that recognize and are justified people. Not all people do. And we might struggle to honor them. But the Lord in this commandment says, honor them. Not because of what they do, but because of who they are. And because when we recognize father and mother, we recognize a truth of God, that He is our Father. Uh, and that there is honor due to Him. So then, thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, and bear false witness. Then you come to the last one. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. If you look at all of these other ones, they are predominantly prohibitions against certain types of activity, of behavior. Thou shalt not covet is a prohibition on, if you will, a thought. You think about that. Killing, committing adultery, stealing, and bearing false witness are all activities. Even the refusal to honor father and mother is, is an activity, is a, a sinful behavior. But coveting is not a behavior. It is a, it is a mindset. It is a thought. It is a desire. And he goes on and, and gets explicit in this. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. His, his physical belongings, that which he has worked for and earned, perhaps, uh, his, his, his house. And then he says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That's not something that he necessarily worked for and purchased, although in that day and age there was a dowry. But, but he goes on, thou shalt not covet his wife. Thou, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So it's all encompassing. The point of that is not that these half a dozen things that your neighbor has, you should not covet, but everything that he has, you should not covet. And the interesting thing about this word covet, we think of it as uh, something that uh, we want. But it, it goes even deeper than that. It is a commandment that prohibits thoughts or desires, but, it's, but, it, it, but it goes to the point of wanting something so badly that we seek to have that which belongs to someone else. We, we could possibly say, well, you know, wow, my neighbor built a new barn and <laughs> I would love to have that barn. Is that action wrong? I believe God can differentiate between the point of, wow, I would like to have a barn like that, and I, I'm going to work to the point where I would like to build a barn like that. 
to have room for my livestock, my hay, my farm implements, whatever it might be. And it doesn't go to the point of coveting. But when we are willing to do our neighbor ill in order to get what he's got, to take what he's got away from him, maybe we undermine him in some way uh, uh, and, and with a desire to have what he's got to take it for our own, that becomes covetousness. And there's been a lot of that that goes on uh, in, in, in one of these uh, where he says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. We see such, an, such a pandemic of that around the world. People do that. They see their, their, their neighbor's spouse, their, their, uh, so, someone that they know. Perhaps it's even a relative of their, and they want their spouse. It's something that is theirs and they want it to the point of it's all they can focus on and they do everything they can to undermine that marriage and take that spouse away from them. It happens all the time in the world in which we live. His manservant, his maidservant, his, his cattle, whatever he has. So covetousness is not just a thought, but it's a desire that goes to the point of working ill towards someone else in order to obtain what he owns. And, and if you think about this, you find that this covers, this, this commandment covers the previous ones. What are the previous ones? Thou shalt not kill. The motivations for taking someone's life, and I suppose you could make exceptions to this and say there are people who are mentally deranged to take people's life because they don't, they, they don't, and they don't even have, really have a reason. Um, but killing oftentimes is, is, is in an attempt to get something that someone else has. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Obviously, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, fall, uh, covers that particular one. Thou shalt not steal. Obviously, again, you see something that someone else has. They own it. You want it. You take it. That's stealing. And then thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Sometimes we lie about something in order to cover up that which we have done. Adultery, killing, stealing, whatever it might be. This is the human condition. And so covetousness goes back and, and, and affects all of those things. It is a part of each of those other sins. So I want to look at some other scriptures now which uh, talk about this concept. And, and, and you can see this behavior. I want to point, uh, point something else out about it as we go along. But if you go back to Genesis, the third chapter, you see in the very beginning, I mentioned Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam and Eve in the third chapter of the Genesis. Now pick this up at the, at the first verse. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God know, doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for fruit, for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
here is the point. Only evil comes of covetousness. You cannot covet and have any outcome from it except evil. There is just no other possibility. Coveting something to the point where you are willing to work ill toward your neighbor cannot result in any good activity in your own life. And so Eve, she sees this fruit, and, 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 and whose was the fruit? It was God's. He said, this is my tree in the, in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Do not take of that fruit. It belonged to him. And he prohibited them, Adam and Eve, from taking and eating of that fruit. It was his. And he said, it is mine, you shall not have it. And what happened? Eve was convinced otherwise, and she saw it, and it was God's, and she knew it was God's, and she wanted it, and she desired it to the point where she was willing to take what was God's and consume it upon her own lust. And thereby, sin entered into the world, and it has caused unbelievable, unimaginable, endless grief, pain, sorrow upon mankind ever since. Adam and Eve experience the evil that comes from covetousness. I want to read um, just an excerpt from the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we'll turn to the seventh chapter. And this is just a, a, a microcosm, again, of what happens when covetousness is given its head and what happens to people who experience it and those around them. Chapter 7 of Joshua. So the children of Israel uh, had gone into the prom, gone into the into the uh, out of captivity in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They went into the desert. They doubted God's word and he said you're going to you're going to march around in this desert. You're going to live here for 40 years until such time as this generation generation passes. And and when that's over, you're going to go into the land that I promised. And this is, this is part of the experience of going into the promised land. On their way into the promised land, they had a mighty victory at Jericho where they marched around the city walls. These walls were high, they were thick, they were impenetrable, and God knocked them down for them. They had this massive victory at Jericho. It was unbelievable. Okay? So they come off of this massive victory and they're all flying higher than a kite. And next in their way was a small town called Ai. And the spies went and looked at it and said, ah, it's a small place. We can, we can do away with it. It's no problem. Just send a few thousand men to Ai. Take it over. They'll be out of the way. We can go on, go on past them. They send a few thousand men and they absolutely got slaughtered. Why? Well, this chapter talks about that. In the seventh uh, chapter, Verse 6 says, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. 
and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against the morrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou, shalt, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. We know what this story is. There was, a, there was a guy whose name was Achan. And Achan in that battle at Jericho had found some things that he coveted. They were not his. They were someone else's. And he desired them. And God had told them, do not take things. And he coveted and he took. And it says he hid them among his, in, basically in his tent. Verse 16 says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and so forth and so on. And they eliminate tribe by tribe, family by family, and, to, and person by person until they get to the point of finding Achan. It says in verse 18, He brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hidden his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. And what, what happened? What was Achan's sin? He, he gives his own, by his own admission, he says in the 21st verse, then I coveted them. Then I coveted them. Let me ask a question. Does the Lord view covetousness seriously? He certainly does. He views covetousness very seriously. This man and everything that he had Everything that was alive was stoned to death, including him and his family and all of his animals. And then what they owned was burned. It ceased to exist. God views covetousness very seriously. Now, who was harmed by Achan's covetousness? Was it those that the person from whom he took the goods? I think it's a real possibility, don't you, that those from whom he stole were probably dead. They were probably dead. But they didn't belong to Achan. That's the point. And the covetousness that was in his heart 
was iniquity. And what do we find in the commandment not to do this? What we find is that there was sin, there was transgression, and there was iniquity. All of these things were present in Achan's covetousness. Sin, in that he disobeyed the Lord. Transgression, in that he he uh, did not value the the the, the uh, command of the Lord, and iniquity, in that his heart desired something which he should not have, and it came out as covetousness. We have a a, a somewhat similar story in First Samuel. I want to look at that very quickly as well. First Samuel. In that story, you find that Saul had been crowned the king of Israel. And he had a commission to go against the Amalekites. And in his commission, God said to him, you shall go and you shall fight them and you shall completely wipe them out. Kill them from the king to the smallest individual and all of their animals completely and totally annihilate them. Let not any of them remain. Now what you find is that Saul's obedience was incomplete. And that's found in the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. And I want to particularly concentrate on the area around verse 19. In the 13th verse, it says, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of of the Lord. That was a lie. Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Samuel said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, Say on. Samuel said, When you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For the rebellion, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
So in this story, Samuel, as he comes to Saul, points out that it is much better that we obey the Lord than to give sacrifices to Him. In fact, obedience to God is the best sacrifice that there is. And he said the Lord has great delight in obedience, much more than in sacrifices and burnt offerings and the fat of rams. For the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected you from being king. Verses 23 and 24 have those three things again. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Covetousness envelops all three of those, if, if you think about it. God wants obedience. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who was harmed by Saul's incomplete obedience, or to put it another way, his disobedience? Who was harmed? Well, the Amalekites were completely wiped out. They were all dead. Their possessions, it seems like, were up for grabs, right? So what was wrong with bringing some of them back? They robbed from God. They robbed from God obedience. He wanted their obedience. And they robbed God of that. And it was a hard lesson for Saul because Saul lost his kingship over it. Saul, Samuel told him, you have lost your kingship because of your disobedience to God. And Saul acknowledged to Samuel that he had done that. And he said, I have transgressed and sinned. We're going to wrap up with a couple of scriptures. One, one that is found in Psalms, the 10th chapter. Psalms, the 10th chapter, verse 3 says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. That essentially says that the wicked elevates his own will and desires above the will of God. And... From that springs covetousness. It, it, when we don't have the Lord our God as our first love, if Christ is not our King and our first love, then we elevate our own will above His. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to sin, to transgression, and to iniquity. And the writer of the psalm here says, "...the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire." And he blesseth, blesseth the covetousness of his own heart. And the Lord abhors that. He is the focus of his own will. I want to go back to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in the, in the, tenth, the 13th chapter, rather. In Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation, that is, let your life, your lifestyle, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is the point of this? Covetousness also has as a component a lack of faith in the providence of God. It has as a 
as an element of it a lack of faith in the providence of God. When we say we want something that someone else has, it sometimes means that we don't think God has provided enough for us. We need something more to really be happy. And the Scripture indicates that God will give us everything we need to be happy, but we have to recognize that the blessings of God are sufficient, and therein lies the trouble. In this particular verse, let your conversation, your lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content. So a lack of covetousness comes from contentment. Or you might say a lack of contentment comes from covetousness. Think about it. Next time you desire something so strongly that you might be willing to work ill towards someone else. I want to back up to 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 6. <clears throat> but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. There again, that lack of... of Contentment that uh, Paul talks to Timothy about. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So a lack of contentment often gives root to covetousness. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 5, points out something very important about covetousness. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. When we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, covetousness gives rise to the possibility of working ill toward our neighbor and Paul says to the Colossians that it is idolatry, that we focus on something to the point that we replace our love of God with our love of this thing, whether it's money, whether it's our neighbor's spouse, whether it's our neighbor's stuff, whatever it might be, their education, it can go to almost anything that we desire to have and take away from someone else. And as Paul talks to the Colossians, he says to them, be very careful because it is idolatry. I want to wrap up then in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And the 10th verse. <clears throat> well, let's back up to the 9th as... A com for a complete thought, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You note in there that in, with all sorts of evildoers as he begins this, 
as he lists various kinds of evil and ill, he lists covetousness. Those who are covet, covetous, those who covet something of someone else's, they, it says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. As we think about this last commandment that God gave in, our, in the list of the Ten Commandments, I don't know if we've really spent much time in study of it. Maybe you have at some point in time. But you what you find is that just like all of the other commandments, it is something that God puts such great emphasis on, not only to reveal himself, but to reveal our hearts to ourselves and to prohibit certain types of actions and activities. You find that this particular one inhibits thought, intent, and is part and parcel is a big element in some of the other prohibited activities. And so God put a great amount of emphasis on thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's barn, his wife, his ox, his ass, nothing. Don't covet anything of anyone else's because it will only result in great evil to someone else and to ourselves. And the Bible is replete with stories and illustrations that bear this out. May God help us to be a people who are content with what we have and bless the Lord every day for it is our prayer.